Uh, I've been plagiarizing Jesus now for three or four months as we've just kind of made our way through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm excited to report to you that Jesus' attorneys have not yet contacted us. There's no cease and desist order, uh, and it appears that we're going to get off scot-free on this, and so I'm going to keep doing it. We have about two or three more sections that I want to plagiarize before we conclude with the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, I I told you what what Jesus had, had preached in a portion of this sermon. We listened to Jesus talk about, warn, really, warn about the dangers of following the crowd when it comes to making decisions about the kingdom of God. He says you can't just follow the crowd on this. Jesus gave us an image of of this wide road that the crowd travels on, and there beside it is the narrow road where only a few journey. He told us that the way of the kingdom is found along that narrow road. And that statement kind of begs the question, how do we find the narrow road? How do, we, how do we know where to look for it? And whose advice should we listen to as we're trying to find it? In Jesus' day, there was no shortage of people who had advice about finding that narrow road that leads to the kingdom. There was no shortage of people with religious opinions. Now, for the people gathered on the mountainside that morning, Judaism was the prominent religion. But even Judaism in the days of Jesus was a deeply, deeply divided faith. The Pharisees had one very particular idea about what God wanted or about what God expected. And the Sadducees had a completely different perspective. Then you have the Zealots who were angry and disagreed with both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then you have the Essenes who thought, all three of those guys were crazy and wrong. It was a deeply, deeply divided religion. And then on top of all of that, you had the Romans who were in charge of everything. Now the Romans thought that there were many gods and for them the best philosophy in life was just just worship everybody to avoid making anybody angry. So they worshipped all of the gods. That was their religious perspective. And then, of course, we're, we're near Jerusalem, which is a cosmopolitan center. So you have people from pagan religions from around the known world practicing their religion, giving their religious perspectives. Here's what our God says. Here's what our God thinks. Here's how we please our God. It was an absolute mess. Everybody had a perspective. Everybody had an opinion. You want advice about religion, you didn't have to look very far to find it. You know what? I don't think it's really very much different today, is it? In our culture, it is true. There are a growing number of people who don't consider themselves to be religious, but even most of them have philosophies and and, and ideas about life, about, about the supernatural, about the afterlife, ideas that we could consider religious, even if that person doesn't consider themselves to be religious. Almost everybody has a perspective about how to live a good life. And so the question is, who should we listen to? Jesus is going to weigh in on this conundrum. And here's the portion where I plagiarize Jesus. These are the words that he has to say. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I have come to believe that all the people in the world can be easily categorized into one of two different categories. Follow me in this. Everybody falls into either category A or category B. But in order to know which category to put a person in, you have to observe them at a dinner buffet. <laughs> Follow me here. The first group of people are the people who get to the buffet. They look over the buffet. Uh, they choose a couple of items that look pretty tasty and they fill their plate with those items because they want to make a meal out of those items. The second group of people are the ones who go right down the buffet and fill their plate with one forkful of literally everything on the buffet. You know what I'm talking about? Let's do a quick straw poll here. How many people are from the first group? How many people, you know, just kind of pick out what they want and they fill their plate with that and, and make a meal out of it? Now, how many of you do we need to pray for? Because you're the kind that go down and just like a little bit of every single thing. I see, I see a lot of involuntary confessions going on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, quickly, quickly, and this is kind of a pro tip here. The same observation, the same categorization can be made seasonally at Thanksgiving dinner. But it's, it's, it's starches, okay? Because you put the turkey on your plate. Are you the kind of person that gets, you know, gets some stuffing or gets some mashed potatoes? Or are you the kind of person that gets a little stuffing, a little mashed potatoes, a little of the cheesy potato casserole, a little bit of the cornbread, a little bit of the yams? You know, what's going with your church? Which kind of person are you? Same process can work, but only in a very narrow window of the calendar year. Uh, that first category, uh, admittedly, I fall into that category. You know, take a look, make your choice, and then make a meal out of your choice. Now, that category I've read is what... Uh, psychologists and sociologists refer to as normal people. Uh, because to me, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a meal if I'm only having a bite or two of a bunch of different things. But let me say this, I absolutely empathize with the people from category number two. Some of my favorite people in this world come from category number two, and I get it. I understand that sometimes we just want to take a little sample of everything. Sometimes it makes sense to consider every possibility. It makes sense to explore every option. It makes sense to taste every little offering. But let me ask you this. I'm gonna give you a hypothetical scenario here. Let's say you're one of those category number two people. You're the kind of person who likes to sample the entire buffet. Let's say that I bring you to the largest, most beautiful, most extravagant buffet that you've ever seen. And I give you a plate that's big enough to try a little bit of everything. And you're raring to go, you're ready to go. But right before, right before the dinner bell rings, I I warn you, you know, there's a few items on this buffet that have just enough rat poison in them to make you violently ill. I'm not going to tell you which ones, but just 
just enough. Some of you are like, I've been to that buffet. <laughs> I've been to that buffet, right? Just enough to make you violently ill. I can't tell you which ones, but go ahead. Go ahead, go for it. What do you do? What do you do in that scenario? I think that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, yeah, the buffet looks pretty big. There are a lot of options for those of us who are trying to fill our plates at the dinner banquet of the kingdom of God. There are a lot of different options, it would seem. And while it might seem tempting to try a little bit of everything, we need to understand that there are dangers that we don't always recognize. Actually, here's specifically how Jesus puts it. It's the very first words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says this, watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. Now, almost any time I use the word prophet here, uh, I, I, I include a little explainer because it's an important word for us to understand. When we say prophet in the church, when we read about a prophet in the Bible, we aren't talking about somebody whose job it is to predict the future. That's not what prophecy is about. Prophets don't predict the future. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. God has something specific to say. He's going to say it through a prophet. Now, Sometimes there are examples, there are instances when that includes a glimpse of something that might be down the pike, something from the future, but that really doesn't have anything to do with what makes prophecy prophecy. In fact, more often than not, prophecy has to do not with the future, but with what's going on in the present. God is addressing something that's happening right now. Now, in the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, the prophets most often were speaking about faithfulness and justice. Those were kind of their two greatest hits, faithfulness and justice. It was their job to help people understand how the broad principles of God's ancient law needed to be applied to very specific or very particular circumstances of their day. And today, I think it's the same thing. I believe, according to scripture, that today we still hear prophetic voices. We still hear voices speaking to us about things like faithfulness and things like justice. We, hear, we still hear prophetic voices speaking to us about areas where perhaps God's people have failed to apply the broad principles of God's ancient law to the specific circumstances of our time. The challenge that Jesus is pointing out is that the prophets who are speaking on God's behalf, they aren't the only ones speaking. There's a lot of people speaking. There's a lot of voices that we can hear. There's a lot of different perspectives. The buffet is very, very big with many, many options because everybody has an opinion. Let me tell you what I mean. How often do we hear people say something like, well, I don't think that God would want dot, 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 fill in the blank about whatever they're talking about. Or how often do we hear somebody say, well, I'm sure that Jesus would say dot, 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 dot about whatever they're saying. These are just, I think, very, very common kind of everyday examples of people presuming to speak on God's behalf. 
And if you listen for phrases like that, if you listen for perspectives like that, soon you will discover, man, our our world is full of them. Our neighborhoods are full of them. Schools are full of them. The internet is full of them. In some cases, our churches are full of them. People who would presume to speak on God's behalf and say, well, here, you know, obviously, obviously, here's what God would have to say about that. The problem, of course, is that all too often the people doing the talking have no basis for the statements they're making. They don't know God. They never read his word. They don't know his character. They've never encountered his life-changing power. And it's instances like that that I think fit the definition of false prophecy in every sense of the phrase. So when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, he's not saying, you be on the lookout for crazy looking guys with funky beards who try to make a living out of predicting the future. It's not what he's saying. He's telling us to be careful about listening to someone who presumes to know how to speak on God's behalf, but does so foolishly and inaccurately. He's saying, be cautious about who you listen to. Several years ago, we had trouble with uh, sewage backup in our basement. It was so gross. We had a company come in and, and, and look at the, the hole, the drain in, on the floor in the basement and there were problems with the pipe and there were backups and this and that and in the rain and da 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 da. It was, I mean, it was bad. We had several companies come in in a row because they all told us, ooh, 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 this is gonna be bad. And so they were bidding out what would become a very, very big project. And so we, we heard two or three different proposals about how precisely we should be solving this big problem. And one proposal from one company kind of stood out, made sense. The price was far more reasonable than the others that we had heard. They said, look, I think we can handle it this way rather than doing the whole you know, big thing that you've been hearing about from these other companies. And so we decided to hire them. But even with that kind of middle proposal, uh, they tore up our whole basement. I mean, they were digging through the concrete on the floor. They were pulling out pipe. They were doing, they in, installed one of those overhead. There had to be a new pump. It was, I mean, it was a big, nasty mess for over a week. And when they were done, we had to have the county inspector come in and inspect all the work because this was all permitted work according to county code. And so I was just glad to have the whole thing done. We finally got everything done, they got it in. The county inspector came in to do his inspection and he comes down into our basement and he failed their work at just about every point. Almost everything they did. He said, violation, not to code, not to code, not to code, not to code, not to code. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I almost lost my salvation right then and there. I'm telling you, it was, it was crazy. And so, of course, you know, the company, the guy from the company is standing there and kind of just like getting red faced. And I, I went right back to the boss and I complained. I said, look, look you, you guys bid this work out and said, here's what we're going to do. And now I find out, now I find out it won't even work. Like it, it won't even be, a, it's not like, oh, this wasn't in exactly, I, the guy's like, no, this entire system is illegal. You can't do this. 
And you know what they told me? They said, well, we, we don't do a whole lot of work in DuPage County. We didn't realize how different the codes were. Thank you very little. <laughs> so, uh, good news. The, the company that we hired, you know, it was on them. They came in and redid the whole thing according to, coin, uh, according to code. And, and we didn't have to pay for all that extra work. They did it according to code. Um, but it was a big hassle and a big headache. And the scars are still kind of there, let me tell you. They thought they knew, didn't they? They thought they knew but they didn't know. They thought they knew, but they didn't know. When it comes to issues with God's kingdom, just as in issues regarding sewer repairs, be cautious about who you listen to. We listened to the advice of a company that looked like a great company, looked like they knew exactly what was going on, only to find out they didn't know. We shouldn't have listened to their advice. When it comes to issues in God's kingdom, be careful who you listen to because not everyone knows what they're talking about. Oh, they look the part, don't they? they? They have it all together. They speak with wisdom and with expertise and with eloquence. And what they say makes sense. By the looks of them, they seem to be trustworthy. But, but here's what Jesus says about people who, who seem to be trustworthy. It's in Matthew again, in verse 15 of chapter seven and moving on, he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing. They look good. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Let me give you another explainer because fruit is a metaphor that Jesus uses all the time. He talks about fruit quite a bit. It's a very, very important metaphor to Jesus, and it's important that we understand it because we're going to encounter it as we read the Gospels again and again. Fruit is the natural outcome of your behavior. Fruit isn't something that you have to work to manufacture any more than an apple tree has to go, I wish I could make apples. No, making apples is the natural outcome. It's, it's what apple trees do, right? It's kind of the only thing they do. It's, it's just the natural. Try and tell an apple tree not to make apples. There's a challenge for you. Fruit is the natural outcome of your behavior. And here's the thing about fruit. It's why this metaphor works so well. Fruit might not be obvious at first. You don't plant an apple seed in the ground and then wake up the next morning to, to ripe red apples on a, on a mature tree. Fruit might not be obvious at first. It takes time to show itself. In the winter, the average city dweller, uh, you know, like myself, would struggle to tell the difference between an apple tree and a pear tree and an orange tree. I thought they just all grew at grocery stores. <laughs> But eventually, eventually in harvest season, the fruit comes, it shows itself, and then there's no denying what kind of tree that is. That's an orange tree over there. Well, how do you know? How do you know, Mr. Wizard? Well, because it's got oranges. There's no denying it. Fruit is the natural outcome of your behavior. Jesus says it's, it's the same way. It's, it's that way with false prophets. At first... It might be difficult to pick them out from the rest. But give it time. Give it time. Let their fruit emerge. The natural outcome of their behavior will betray them. 
Is what they're doing truly building the kingdom of God? Is it truly the good news that Jesus announced? Are the people who listen to them and take their advice, are they becoming more and more like Jesus? Because that's what matters. In other words, their appearance means less than their impact. How do I know who to listen to? How do I know how to pick out a good counselor in my journey towards the kingdom? Jesus is saying looks can be deceiving. Don't pay attention to whether or not they look the part. Their, their, their appearance means less than their impact. A few years ago, a friend of mine uh, who had grown up training as a boxer and then you know, got into uh, you know, real life, can we say that? Uh, decided he was going to go back into the ring and train up and maybe do a couple of professional bouts. And so this friend of mine had trained and trained and trained and eventually got built to do his first professional bout and he invited a bunch of us to go see him. Now I'm not a boxing fan. Uh, I was a little nervous about the idea of like even going to watch that live. But it was a buddy of mine, and so I decided to go. And so uh, we, we got to the boxing match that night, and there were a few rounds before, before my buddy was going to fight. Uh, and so we kind of watched, get the hang of what's going on. Okay, 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 Here's, we can do this, we can do this, okay? So my buddy's match gets called, and they announce him, and he comes out, and he's in his shorts and his robe, and he's doing, you know, this whole thing, and blah, 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 blah. And we're like, we're cheering for him. Yeah, man, way to go, way to go. Okay, and then they call his opponent. Right? And his opponent comes out. Now, when they called Matt, they were like, oh, you know, making his professional debut. And they called his opponent. And they're like, with a record of 25 and 10. And I'm like, dude's got some experience here. You know, 25 victories, 18 of them by knockout. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. And then this guy comes out. And I, that's when I started getting scared. Because he was a big dude. He was a big Dude, he was several inches taller than my friend and he's got all the experience and he's doing this and I'm like, I'm scared on my friend's behalf. I'm like, this is, this is not gonna go well. This, this is not gonna be good. And, and he just looked stronger and maybe it was me just being a chicken, like me being afraid on my friend's behalf, but I'm telling you, I'm watching this guy come down the aisle and I'm like, oh, this is bad, this is bad. And so they do the whole introduction thing and whatever, and the ref comes out and they meet in the middle and, and, and the bell goes off. And they come out of their quarters, their corners, ready to fight the bell, ding, 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 ding. And they come and they meet in the front. And I'm just like, my stomach is turning. You know what I'm saying? My stomach is turning. And this other guy just kind of lumbers in and he opens up with it, like right away, like we aren't even dancing and trying to, you know, there's no floating like a butterfly going on in this place, right? We're just gonna go for it. And this guy just takes a jab like this. And, and my buddy Matt, who is smaller, you know, didn't have that wingspan or anything, right? Ducks out of the way, steps in underneath the jam, <laughs> right up, pops the guy in the chin. Next thing I know, I'm seeing the bottom of that guy's shoes because he is laying on the mat. Never moved again, right? Five seconds, victory by knockout. My buddy, they're holding his arm. Like he didn't break a sweat. And we're cheering and, and also a little bit praying for the other guy because that was weird, right? Right? Like, I like football. And people are like, oh, my goodness. I, do, I still have some issues. I'm working them out here from the pulpit, as I often do. Yeah, yeah. 
My buddy didn't look the part. Do you follow the, the logic here? What mattered most in that instance? Was it appearance or was it impact, right? It was the impact that made the difference in that particular boxing match. It wasn't the appearance. That's what Jesus is saying. Appearance, appearance isn't what's important. It's the impact. It's the fruit. It's the results of what's going on in somebody's life. And just in case any of his listeners fail to understand just how important his warnings are, Jesus offered one final admonition. It's in verse 19. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember the, the dinner buffet? The hypothetical buffet that I told you about where I said, you can, you can pick everything you want. You can, you can pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I'm warning you, there's a few items on there that have just enough rat poison to make you sick. Well, actually what Jesus is saying is it's more serious than that. It's not just enough to make you sick. There are actually quite a few items on the religious buffet that lead not to sickness, but to eternal destruction. Folks, it is so important. It is so important that we learn to tell the difference between truly wise words about God and false prophecy. That's the dichotomy here, isn't it? Because everybody has something to say. Everybody's going to be saying something about God. It is so important that we learn to tell the difference between what is truly wise, I mean both truthful and wise, and false prophecy. We simply cannot risk paying attention to the latter. There's just too much at stake. I want to say this about that. A mistake here could be costly. A mistake could be costly. Does that, does that feel overwhelming? I think it does. I think it does. Look, I'm a pastor. I've spent my life studying the scripture. I've been through seminary. I've studied this. I've studied that. When it comes to book learning, I've got a lot of it. But I encounter things every day where I say, Lord, I'm going to need your help to discern what's true here. I'm going to need your help, Lord, to discern what's right. It can feel overwhelming. If you hear me plagiarizing Jesus today with these stern warnings about be careful and you feel overwhelmed by that, you feel how on earth am I going to know the difference? How on earth am I going to do that? Hang on because you're not alone. Don't check out yet. You're not alone. He's saying this is part of that journey on the narrow path. We together have to be careful about who we choose to listen to. But just for kicks, let's say you're a brand new believer. Maybe you've spent your life kind of having a general sense of God and, and, and Jesus and the Bible and church like you, you've You've known those things exist. You've had some sort of experience with all of those things before. But you're at a point in your life today for the first time where you're considering things that you've never considered before. Or maybe you're considering them in a way that you've never thought of before. Instead of following the rules of a particular religion, you're thinking more in terms of 
actually having a relationship with God where you can say, yeah, I, I know him. I know God. Your desire is to actually be confident that you know and understand him. You didn't even think in those terms before, but that's what you hunger for today. Or maybe instead of boiling everything down into who goes to heaven after they die and and who goes to hell after they, they die, maybe, yeah, those things are important, but maybe now you're starting to think more in terms of, well, what does it mean to live my life today as a citizen in the kingdom of God? Maybe you've never thought about it that way before. Maybe instead of framing faith as kind of a a code of ethics or a life philosophy, maybe, maybe you're thinking more in terms of a faith that opens up and and taps into the, the supernatural, the transcendent, the powerful blessings over your life. Maybe, maybe you've never thought that way before, but you're, you're starting to think that way. You know what that is? That's kingdom thinking. That's That's the goal. That's kingdom thinking. These are good things. These are are God things. These are the things that Jesus has been talking about all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. This is why we've been plagiarizing him for, for these many months, because this is precisely what he's talking about. But... Just as he's getting ready to close. I mean, you've been following along in your Bibles. You can see that the red letters end in just a couple of paragraphs, right? We're almost done with the sermon. And he's like, boy, you have to be careful. (laughs) Because uh, the ones who get it wrong are being chopped down. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? How are you going to make such a big change in your life? A change that centers around a God that you feel like you don't fully know yet. And now you're, you're hearing that, that listening to the wrong people can actually be a costly mistake. What do we do? What do we do? I want to give you one more hypothetical today. I want you to imagine that you have a good friend. A good friend who spent their entire life living in a small country town. You know the type. The town with just one general store on Main Street where everybody does their shopping. A town that has one stoplight in it, and it almost always works. A town that only has two officers on the police force, one named Andy and one named Barney. But that's okay because there's really no crime in that town. Everybody leaves their doors unlocked at night. It's a safe place. It's Americana USA, right? You have somebody whose whole experience has been living in that small town. It's where they grew up. They got their first job right out of county high school and and they've lived there their entire life. And then one day your friend tells you, hey, great news, great news. I just got a new job. And you say, fantastic, what's your new job? And they say, well, I got hired by a company in the West Loop of Chicago, and I'm moving to Chicago. And you think, oh no. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. They're gonna have to move in. If that happened to you, what would you do for your friend? Wouldn't you do everything you could to help them learn how life works in the big city? 
Wouldn't, wouldn't you want them to, to learn, on, hey, before you make this move, come with me. We're going downtown. We're going to walk around. We're going to visit. I'm going to point out some things because it's not like where you grew up. Wouldn't you do everything you could to make sure that they had the resources they would need to survive in an entirely new place? Wouldn't you help them seek out people of character with experience to teach them the ways of the big city? Wouldn't you make sure that they they would never be alone in that new place? Look, like don't, just don't, please promise me, promise me, don't walk alone after dark where, where you need to go. Just don't be alone. Surround yourself with people who have made the same kind of journey and know what you're experiencing right now and know what it's like to make that kind of transition. Wouldn't you do everything you could do to help that person get some street smarts before you just launched them into the city and said, have fun? Wouldn't you do everything you could do to help that person make that transition? If you're looking to draw closer to Jesus, you need to reorient your life to become street smart about the kingdom of God. It's not like anywhere you've ever lived before. You need to become, we need to become street smart about the kingdom of God. You need to find a community of trustworthy people who have taken the same kind of journey that you've taken and learn from them. You can't expect to figure out what you need to know by reading a book all by yourself or watching YouTube videos from people who claim to have all the answers. There's just too big a chance that you're going to be eating the poison entree on the buffet if that's your if that's your your, your plan for how to figure this. You can't afford to risk it. You need better access than that. You need to listen to people, listen to this, people that you're close to, people that you're close enough to so that you can examine their fruit. You know what I'm saying? Your advisors, your counselors, those people who you choose to trust need to be close enough to you so that you can examine their fruit. Reading a book isn't going to do that for you. Oh, it might be helpful. Maybe there'll be some good ideas, but then you got to take that to somebody whose fruit you trust and say, let's talk about this together. Watching a video on the internet isn't going to do that for you. Might be helpful, might give you some good ideas, but you need to rely on the advice of people with whom you are close enough to examine their fruit because a mistake here could be costly. Good fruit inspectors don't do their job remotely. <laughs> Pandemic or not, when the health inspector had to make sure that the apples over at the Jewel weren't poison, they couldn't do that by Zoom. They had to go and actually examine the fruit. And Jesus is saying, before you just go off and follow every fool idea you heard, you need to examine the fruit. Church, that means you need to examine my fruit. Maybe first and foremost, because for most of you, I'm the guy who does the most yapping about Jesus. <laughs> you come and you listen to it each and every week. And I'm glad you do, but don't you ever take it for granted. You examine my fruit. You take a look at what I've said. You ask me about it. You challenge me about it when it doesn't make sense. And when I need correction, I need correction. 
But we do that for each other as well. We examine one another's fruit. So that we're sure as we're encouraging one another all the more. Isn't that what scripture says? Encourage one another all the more. As we're doing that, we're encouraging one another in the right direction. When I was in high school, a buddy of mine ran with a cross-country team. He was as fast as the wind. He wasn't gifted, though, with a real strong sense of direction. And so Tom would run the race, but invariably take a left turn when he should have taken the right. <laughs> and then he would have to back up, and half the time he still won the race. He was just that fast, right? As people cheer you along in your race, it doesn't help if they're cheering you to turn left when you should have turned right. It doesn't help if they're cheering you to turn right when you should have turned left. You need to know that the community that you're in is cheering you on in the right direction. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that unless you're close enough to examine their fruit? Unless you're close enough to examine their fruit. And so be careful, Jesus says. Be careful of the false prophets. It's too big a deal to say, oh, I'll just try a little of this. I'll just try a little of that. It's too big a deal. Don't wait and find out for yourself. Find the community that can teach you, that can show you, because they've lived it out themselves, how to be street smart about the kingdom of God. Just like that imaginary friend that I told you about that grew up in, in Mayberry and is moving to Lincoln Park. Those of us that have made a decision for the kingdom of God. You know what the Bible says? It's that we've been transferred. That's actually the word it uses, just like that job, right? We've been transferred from the old ways to the new. And when that transfer happens, we don't know. There's a lot we, we don't know. There's a lot we don't understand. We don't, we don't get forgiveness. I mean, we've heard about it, but... We don't, we don't get forgiveness real well, do we? We don't, we, don't, we don't get grace. And so we experience grace and it's like, what is this? This doesn't feel right. Well, we need to, we need to learn how to experience grace in the kingdom of God, don't we? Like, we don't, we don't know mercy. We don't, we don't know divine healing. Divine healing, like there's this whole thing, divine healing. That, we don't do that in the old kingdom. Oh, but we do it in the new, don't we? We do it. We need to learn those things. We need to become street smart. We need to become street smart so that we know that we know that we know how life works. We're going to close in just a moment. I want to say this to you. There's a word that we, we, we throw around sometimes, a theologian. A theologian. Theologian. I don't know what your image is of a theologian. Uh, but I think it, it sounds like kind of an important title. Like, oh, how many PhDs does that theologian have? Right? Theologian, in the most literal sense, break it down. Theo means God, it's Greek for God. And logos means word. A theologian is someone who speaks words about God. That's all it is. Every time you say, God wants this, or God does that, or God stands for this, or anything like that. Anytime you speak about God, you're being a theologian. 
whether you realize it or not, no matter how many degrees in theology you have on your wall, right? No matter how many certificates are there, you're being a theologian. I believe God has called every member of the kingdom of God to be a great theologian. To be a great theologian. You know who the greatest theologians that ever lived were? They were poorly educated fishermen. We lost this week, uh, one of my absolute favorite theologians, a man by the name of Gordon Fee, whose work has impacted everybody in this room, whether you know it or not, he passed away this week. Absolutely legendary. Wonderful, wonderful theologian. More degrees and doctorates and, and, and whatnot that I, that I could even know about. But God has called every one of you to be a theologian, just the same. He's called every one of you to speak words about God that are true. False prophets speak words about God that are false, that are foolish, that don't line up with Scripture. But that's not the call in your life. You can be a theologian. You can be surrounded by a community of people who will speak good words about God. And doing that is going to enable you to find that narrow path to the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your words, Jesus, that acknowledge the beauty of the kingdom, but aren't afraid to talk about the challenges that we sometimes face in, in discovering it, in finding it, and in remaining faithful to it. We pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon us. I pray, Lord, your anointing over the words that we speak, especially the words we speak to each other. My goodness, you gave us to each other that we might encourage one another all the more in the direction along that narrow path towards the kingdom. Lord, would you anoint the words we speak that we wouldn't have to be intimidated about, oh, I don't know, I don't know, you know, well, I'll leave that to Dan, I'll leave that to Pastor Mary Ann, I'll leave that to the deacons. No, 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 no. You have a calling on every one of our mouths that we would be good theologians. Thank you for making us that way. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of discernment that will help us as we examine some fruit in the world to know the difference between what is wise and what is dangerous. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your spirit by which we can make those decisions. And you've given us one another in whom and with whom we can agree. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Amen.